Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. How are you on this beautiful day? Wherever you are, I hope you're taking a moment just to enjoy being here on this planet with full breath in the lungs. Inhale through the nose and exhale at the mouth. Just let it go. Uh, I'm saying beautiful day and it is raining as of this recording Um, and a little cold. So it's that wet cold that doesn't feel very comfy, but you know, we can be in charge of our responses to the external circumstances and go with it, right? So I see it as perfect nap weather, which is funny because I really don't have time to take a nap right now, but (laughs) um, it is good for getting cozy and doing all that fun, um, wet kind of stuff where you get like hot cocoa and some blankets, some new stuff, um, comfy stuff. Okay, so I pulled a card for you today from the Starseed Oracle deck. And this uh, is interesting. It's called Fall Into My Arms. Surrender, holding the opposites and extremes of life. Okay, so here we go. The Great Mother ushered you in when you took your first breath, and she will be there when you draw your last. She knows how challenging life can be, that being human can be lonely and confusing, that the polarity and separation can be excruciating when your soul remembers the oneness of source. But at the same time, it can be incredibly glorious and sweet. So often we see things as either good or bad. When things go well, we make it mean that we are being rewarded. When things go bad, then perhaps we've done something wrong. However, we're all here to expand and grow, and it's, the, it's through the extremes of life that we do exactly that. You are being invited to welcome the highs and the lows of the human experience, to let them initiate you more fully into life. The agony and the ecstasy, the beauty and the bitterness. It's so funny. I, the thing I'm thinking of right now is like the agony of defeat, dun, 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 and then also the good, bad, and the ugly. I don't know. It was just... <laughs> It's just what came to mind when I was reading that. Um, But yes, we can hold both, right? So this life is but a single breath in the inextinguishable existence of your experience as a soul. The Great Mother wants you to hand over your loneliness, worries, hurt, sorrow, fears, burdens, and doubts. To lay them on her altar. To fall fully into her arms. To remember that while these extremes are difficult... They can also be magnificent. The more wildly the pendulum of your life swings, the more truthfully you can say, I have truly lived. And this one has a starseed activation for you. So imagine you are placing this beautiful card 
uh, which the image of which is like a pool of water and someone is holding another person and it's just this feeling of surrender and of letting go um, and moving with the flow. So here, imagine you're putting this card on your heart, okay? I am ready to embrace the extremes of my life. I lay all that I'm carrying onto the great mother's altar and fall completely into her arms. And so it's important for us to tune into Mother Earth when we are feeling times of uncertainty and imbalance. Often I tell my yoga students this when we start class, that as we are tuning into the breath and coming into awareness of our bodies to remember that the earth is beneath us, solid, supporting us in all that we do, especially during times of uncertainty. Um, I know when we feel like we are in a weird portal of transformation and we're just not comfortable with that. I mean, inevitably change is uncomfortable, right? But if we can remember to root down into mother earth, then we can move through these transitions with more grace and feel supported and held. Um, often when I'm feeling wobbly, you know, whether physically or mentally or spiritually, I'd like to place both feet on the earth, bare feet if I can. I mean, obviously not on a rainy day because I'm not feeling the mud. I will say there have been times when I am feeling the mud, like my trip to um, Utah, where I went on a great river trip down the Green River with Fia, and it was amazing and transformative. And I had, you know, it was like when in Rome kind of thing, do as the Romans do. So when in muddy waters, put your bare feet in there. Um, and it was so good. It was so glorious. And it just felt like, oh, yes, I am connecting with Mother Earth. And that is such a nourishing experience. And when we're going through, you know, various changes, they could be small changes, you know, it could be something like, um, you know, your favorite restaurant closed down, and now you got to go find a new one. Or it could be big changes, like your last child is going away to college and now you have empty nest. And what do you do? Holy crap, what is your identity even now? Like what, who, what, who are you? So um, come to Mother Earth to have her hold you while you figure it out. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. Part of life is exploring the possibilities, exploring the possible answers for the questions that arise, for the challenges that arise. Um, you know, we live in a society that is me sending messages to us that we need to have it figured out, that we need to know the answers, that we need to be perfect and assured. And what kind of life is that if you know all the answers? It's kind of boring. And then you're like, well, what's the point? Like, if I know all the answers, where's the adventure in that? Where's the curiosity? Where's the, you know, the play in that? And so I try to approach change and uncertainty like a mystery, like a game, like, ooh, what's this? Let's go explore in the corn maze, for example, you know, like, let's see if we can get out of the maze or let's go through the texture tunnel. There's, um, so I live in New Jersey and there's uh, a great science museum called the Liberty Science Center. I think it's in, it's in Jersey City. I think that's, Jersey City or Hoboken. It's in, I don't remember which 
proper district it's in, but I'm pretty sure it's Jersey City. And um, and I remember when my kids were in elementary school, they would have school field trips to go out there. And one of the one of the things, one of the exhibits was this. They call it a touch tunnel, which I'm like, mm, maybe we should just call it a texture tunnel. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to give ideas that might be inappropriate. But um, but it's a dark tunnel that you go through, and I don't know. I, I don't think I've gone through it myself as a chaperone. I have chaperoned for those trips, but I don't remember. I don't think it was there when I was a chaperone. So um, so my, my kids were telling me what you go is you go through the tunnel. Now, I can't remember if you crawl on your hands and knees through the tunnel. It's like a little kid tunnel or if it's like a tunnel that you walk through, like you could stand up. But when you go in there, it's dark and not pitch black, but it's dark where you really can't see any. You can't see much. And there are different textures for you to touch, you know, rough things, soft things, jagged things, you know, coarse things. And that's how I like to think about when we're moving through change, when we're moving through the unknown, that we're just going through a texture tunnel. You know, we're getting curious. We want to explore what's in this tunnel because ultimately what we discover in the tunnel gives us information to prepare us for whatever's on the other side of that tunnel. So what I'm, what I'm thinking about is midlife, right? Midlife is the tunnel. It is a threshold, a really long, dark, mysterious threshold in which you can, not you can, but you are, we are put in to travel to, through, to get to elderhood, right? So we talk about rites of passage. And a lot of times we talk about rites of passage when it comes to being younger. You know, when you are 13 or so entering puberty, that is your sort of rite of passage physically into um, the hormone land. And then there's you know, our society doesn't really have any more proper rites of passage, but I think about how indigenous cultures have these, I don't know how else to explain it except rites of passage, these these rituals, these tests, these ceremonies in which you um, endure, survive in order to grow and evolve so that you can then become the version of you needed for the next stage. So let's say you turn 18 and you are now officially an adult. So how do you make that transition from teenager to a, a responsible adult who has the skills to contribute to the adult community? Well, I mean, in, you know, indigenous cultures, from what I understand, they would just throw you out of the camp and be like all right go survive in the wilderness for a few days and if you if you come back then cool like you know if we find you not dead awesome (laughs) um i don't know how much of that is is historically true but you get the idea right there are these tests and trials that we go through that help us grow in ways that are unexpected right in ways that we don't foresee because we need to rise to the occasion. We need to rise to the challenge in order to overcome it. And when we do that, we realize that we are far more capable than what we initially thought. I love that, right? 
And so I'm trying to look at this. Well, one, I'm trying to practice being comfortable with the uncomfortable to welcome the unwelcome as Pema Chondron likes to, to say in her book. And, um, this texture tunnel called midlife is the rite of passage from the young adulthood. And I say, yeah, young adulthood, because even though like 30 and 40, you know, technically are not young adults, young adults are more like in their twenties. I still feel like that's young in relationship to the entire lifespan of a human, because we at that point haven't yet come to the mid point, the mid, the midway mark. And when we get to our forties and fifties, then we look around and we're like, oh crap, what do we do with our lives? Is this what we wanted to do? Oh, um, are you sure that's what I want to do? Or did, did I act this way because someone told me to act this way, you know? And so we get to that point where we feel like, okay, I don't want to waste my life anymore. I know that I have limited time on this planet in this body. I want to do something about it. I want to make it worth my while to be here in this lifetime. So I'm going to create something new. I'm going to take my wisdom and use it for the benefit of the community and become an elder. But before that can happen, we need to go through some level of change and transformation. And so what happens in midlife, whether we like it or not, our old cells begin to feel ill-fitting. They begin to fall away. The illusion of the old life starts to crumble because then we're like, wait, this is not what I signed up for. Or this no longer serves me because, you know, being a mom, yes, I'm a mom, but now I'm a mom in a different way because my kids don't live in the house anymore. I don't have to drive them anywhere. I don't have to feed them. I don't have to remind them about doing their homework or making sure they go to bed on time because they're out on their own now being practicing being adults. And that's crazy. And so how do I be this different version of a mom where I'm not as hands-on, but then also my mom responsibilities are not day-to-day anymore because they don't live in the house. And so now what do I do? Like, who am I if I'm not the day-to-day mom? What, what else can I be? And so there's this panic, maybe this crisis of like, oh, the identity that I was is not relevant anymore. It doesn't apply. What, what do I do? And so what happens is that old version of yourself starts to fall away as much as we try to cling to that, right? Because it's comfortable and it's the, it's the identity that we've known. We try to grip onto it. It doesn't, it doesn't serve us. It just becomes frustrating. It becomes frustrating for the kid because the kid is like, ma, I'm an adult now. I can, you know, feed myself, hopefully, (laughs) um, do laundry, hopefully. So I got this, I got this. Let me figure it out on my own. And as a mom, you're like, but my baby, you know, (laughs) like I just raised you for your whole life. And now you're like, what? And I'm not useful anymore. So it, it raises a lot of questions, but that identity falls away, whether you want to let it go or not. Right. And so these are the things that are happening. Midlife is going to happen whether we want it or not. So we need to take charge in asking ourselves, what do I want to create intentionally for this second chapter of my life? 
because I have all this embodied wisdom. I've had all these experiences, these lived experiences I had that I had both as a mom, but also as, you know, someone who works in whatever career I was working in, you know, as a daughter, you know, now that my parents are older, I mean, my parents, but also us collectively, our parents are older. If they're still living, you know, they're looking to us to help them, to care for them. If we're on good terms with them, that is. But, you know, we are just in this in-between zone where it feels very much like a second coming of age. If you ask me, that's what it feels like. You know, people say, oh, your coming of age is like during your teen years. And then I got to my 20s and I was like, hell no, uh-uh. Your coming of age is in your 20s when you're trying to fumble around and figure out how to be an adult a responsible adults while also still pursuing the thing that lights you up. Right. At least that's my experience. And I think for my generation, I'm not sure what, you know, Gen Z for those in their twenties now, what they would say about that. But, um, but yeah, that's a big coming of age. And then they don't, t- then they say, Oh, then your thirties. It's like, you've arrived. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. It's like, okay, I'm a full adult. Dun, dun, dun. But then you get to your forties and you're like, huh, okay. I don't care about what other people think anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if you think I'm selfish, too damn bad. Hmm. That's what I think, (laughs) you know, and then you get to your fifties and you're like, okay, now we need to do something like about this because we can't go on with this way that we've been going on. I mean, we've got another 30 or 40 years to live. What are we going to do with that time? And so we, we realize that we are making our progress towards elderhood where hopefully members of the community turn to us for insight, for wisdom, for guidance, for leadership direction. Um, but we need to go through an initiation, a rite of passage, which is midlife in this tunnel of mystery, this texture tunnel. And so can you, can we build and establish self-trust in knowing that whatever our steps are towards the thing we want to create are indeed aligned? You know, it takes practice to tune in to what works for us and what doesn't, what is us responding to the expectations of society and what isn't, what, what is a response to the thing that lights us up? And so it can be scary because we feel untethered and ungrounded. But if you can root down into the earth, like that Oracle card called us to do at the start of this episode, then we're in better shape. We can explore. I mean, I just think about how if we know there's a tether that can bring us back to safety, that we would would be more likely to explore the unknown, to explore the great mystery beyond, you know, like I'm sitting here in midlife and I was like, Hmm, what, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to do with my life? I have been pondering this question and been trying out different things. You know, I have been listening to my intuition and following the intuitive hits where, you know, it was like first, I want to teach yoga. I want to go to yoga teacher training. I've always wanted to do yoga teacher training, but 
hadn't gotten to it. And then I turned 40 something. I think when I was 42, I was like, okay, I'm not getting any younger and I need to do this now because if I don't, I will regret it. But also if I don't do it now, I'm going to be too old. Not that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as too old. But in my mind at the time, I was like, yeah, I need to do this now because what am I waiting for? Really? What am I waiting for? I'm just making excuses. So I did that. You know, I took a leap, went into teacher training. And then, you know, after that meditation teacher certifications and then all things, you know, various healing modalities that I started to learn about. And then I also did my own deep healing journey on healing ancestral traumas, generational traumas, you know, um, all kinds of things that were both known and unknown. And I feel so good. But, and now I'm like, okay, now what, you know, what's next? So I'm exploring that and it's an interesting experience because it's not clear what the next thing is. When I signed up for yoga teacher training, I felt pretty clear, pretty confident. It's like, okay, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. And that's, that's my thing. That's, that's my jam. I'm going to do it. Then I was like, okay, meditation. I'm going to add meditation to my repertoire. That's my jam. Now I'm like, okay, I did all these things. Uh, I'm sure there are other healing modalities that I would love to learn about and get trained on to offer, you know, clients and people in my community. But what do I want to do ultimately with my life? What effect, what change do I want to affect in the world? And I don't necessarily mean it in a grandiose way, like I'm going to save the world and end world hunger or whatever. That would be amazing. But it's more, what am I going to do at the individual grassroots level, you know, what am I going to do in my immediate community? What am I going to do to help out, you know, um, my daughters? We could just start with the family unit. What am I going to do to radiate out to be stellar examples for their friends? For example, you know, how can I help enrich the school community or my town? Or even just the condo complex that I live in. You know, it's it's funny. It's interesting that I'm asking these questions because I know when I first moved to the condo um, that I live in now after selling the what they call the marital home <laughs> after the divorce, I was very reluctant to be social with anybody. You know, I... <laughs> I don't like having to, first of all, I don't like living on top of each other. Like the whole high density living thing is not something I'm comfortable with. I like my own space. I like to be in my own space. I don't want to bump into people and like get caught up in chit chat. I'm just very like in and out, like stay in your lane kind of person. And it's, it's just so funny. It's just so funny to me. And I would walk Bailey like super early in the morning because I didn't want to run into anybody I would walk her, I would let her out at night when I knew everyone was already sleeping. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. I didn't just didn't want to run into anybody. I don't want to run at any other dogs. I didn't want to, um, <coughs> I didn't want to run into other people and like make small talk with them. So it's just really funny <laughs> saying that out loud <laughs> because now that I've lived there for about a year, I've, I've adapted. I've gotten used to high density living. I still don't like it. Like I want my own home, my own yard to do whatever I want in it and to have privacy doing what I want to do in it. Like, you know, holding sacred circles 
and letting Bailey run around, planting a garden, like all that stuff I'd love to do, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I want to get my own place, um, which is, you know, one of the things on my vision board that I want to manifest, but I have adapted to having neighbors very close by and I've softened a little bit where I am not taking Bailey out. You know, I take her out whenever I need to take her out. I'm not trying to time it so that there's nobody around. Um, and if I see people, I say hello, but that's about it. I don't necessarily make small talk, but I'm learning more about myself and seeing that I'm softening into being a little more social in my community. And it makes a difference. You know, it's, it makes a difference for me because I'm reminded that I'm not alone, even though these neighbors are totally on different paths, you know, totally doing their own thing. It doesn't mean I, I need to avoid connecting with them. You know, it's really, um, part of growing is interacting with people. And as much as I, you know, I think, I think, um, lockdown and quarantine, whatever you want to call it really had an effect, a lasting effect. The effects are still being felt and probably will be for some time. Um, but the effect of that, of being in isolation and, um, not really talking to people, I got a chance to really get to know myself and, and go in within to get introspective and then realize, Oh, I don't really want to talk to people. <laughs> I'm like the grumpy old man. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I've softened and, um, and I'm, I'm allowing myself to be open. I'm surrendering like the, the Oracle card had called for. And so with that more richness can come in, you know, I want to ultimately just help people out of their suffering, out of their, out of their, um, you know, stuck points through hardships, not to avoid them, but to help them see how they can overcome them. Because I'm not going to deprive you of your lesson that you need to learn. Often when we come across challenges and things like that, it's, it's an opportunity to grow and to evolve and to learn. So I'm not going to deprive you of that by doing it for you. First of all, no one can do it for you. But second of all, you know, it's important for you to walk this path. All I can do is give you some tools to make it less of a struggle, to make it a little easier for you to see what it is that's being offered as a teaching. And so <clears throat> this is what I want to create with this, um, this new collective I'm putting together, the Midlife Cauldron Collective. I, lo I love it because I'm imagining like this big old black cauldron and a bunch of women of color gathering around and we're putting the ashes of our old selves in there. We're like, here's the old people pleaser. Here is the perfectionist. We're just going to put that version of ourselves in there. We're going to put the old IT worker in there. We're going to put the old lawyer in there and we're going to imagine a newer version, a more aligned version of ourselves that matches with who we are being now, because who we were when we were bankers or lawyers or IT people, we're not those people now. No, there is a higher calling. 
And so we put all this stuff in the cauldron and we gather and we share and then we spark the ash into a fire that transmutes the energy of those ashes into the next chapter, into the thing we want to create with intention and deliberateness. Is that is deliberateness a word? Purpose. <laughs> we want to do that on purpose. And so gather with me, my friends. Gather with me in this collective because we need it so bad. We need to take charge of what is happening in this mystery of midlife, in the threshold that is propelling us towards elderhood. We need to gather together so we don't feel alone, isolated or stuck in this situation where we don't know what our next move is. It's so comforting and it's so much more helpful to gather in community. So we share our experiences and know that we're not alone in what we experience. That is the key to surviving things, I think. So yeah, that is what has been on my heart the past few days. And I'm hoping that some of these things resonate with you. That you feel seen in your struggle to find footing in your struggle to find who you are being for real. I got you. So just send me a message, email me Leslie Ann at suryagian.com or you can DM me on Instagram. My handle is at Leslie Ann Hobayan, all one word, but just come through to the midlife cauldron collective. We're going to gather. And when women of color gather, oh man, it's such magic. It's so powerful. And I know this because of the, the workshops that I've done, yoga workshops that I've done for people of color and man, super, super powerful. It's just by gathering alone is where the magic is. But of course I have other magical tools I'll bring into the group like breath work and new moon rituals, some life coaching for sure, because we got to talk it out. And I'd like to serve as a mirror for you to see what's working, what's not working to point to some mysteries that you have been avoiding things like that. So check it out. You can look at the, um, homepage, my homepage, thepoetspriestess.com, and then you'll see a tab for the Midlife Cauldron Collective, but you can also go to thepoetspriestess.com slash midlife hyphen cauldron hyphen collective, and you'll find all the info there. Um, but if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me, my friends. And so um, we're going to close this episode. We talked a lot about just leaning into self-trust as we move through the mystery of of midlife and this rite of passage that no one really talks about. So I'm going to close the um, episode. I've got my favorite anthology, The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. 
and I'm going to read this. Oh, all right. It's a two pager, but we'll, we'll get through it. Um, cause it looks very interesting. It's called origin story by Marianne Chan. One, not Eve, but Eve's Filipino half sister, bad dancer, lute player, naked and fat, fermenting grains, painting veins with berries and clay, shoots the shit with snake and tree beneath moonlight, while God, Eve, and even Adam makes fires in caves, drawing pictures of buffalo and horses on walls, like a bunch of wacko, hallucinating tunnel dwellers. 2. When you were born, my mother tells me, you resembled our statue of Buddha. Not the thin icon, not the skeletal ascetic Siddhartha Gautama, but Putai, the fat one in American Chinese restaurants, symbol of abundance and generosity. She says, you always drank too much soda. Your father gave you whatever you wanted, even if it wasn't good for you. That is why you were happy. Hedonism is not natured, but nurtured. As she finishes telling me this, she stretches her stout body along the love seat in her newly bought seat. She burps after her snack of fried chicken. She asks me to rub her feet while she watches Jeopardy and then offers to rub mine. Two, a three. Not Eve, but Eve's serpent, imbibing fruit juices and writhing her leggy body on the branch of a tree. I always imagined that the serpent had the legs of a seductive woman in black nylons before God took them away as punishment. Maybe she wanted them to go. She wanted to feel the earth, her origin, warm on her belly. Where are the legs now? Perhaps at the bottom of the ocean, alongside the remains of the ark, a pair of ancient nylons is steadily disintegrating. 4. When you were born, my father tells me, you looked just like I did. His hands were a black and white picture of himself in a crib, a weeping baby. How pleasurable is it as a child to instantly find your origins in some earlier being? The future is predestined. I see my eyes in his eyes, his crooked gate in my crooked gate. I look up at my father. I think, in a few years, I will be a 60-year-old Chinese man with black and white mustache. 5. Not Eve, but Eve. Before my father was my father's father, a man who had 20 children with numerous women, a man who drank and smoked and did not wish to die. Before my mother was my mother's mother, a woman who lost her legs like the wonderful, wise serpent who initiated life and earthly joys. Eve, the day that comes before an important day, a name given after shame. My brother tells me that when I was born, I had a mark on my head that resembled a tree, and it grew fruit until it disappeared. That's a myth. The truth of the story. After us, there will be another, then another, then another. Hmm. Whew. All right, my friends. And so I will close this episode, as I always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos. By signing up for my newsletter, 
which will be more light to your inbox. Go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.